Welcome to the Peace Catalyst podcast, where we share stories to inspire, uplift, and encourage you in your peacemaking journey. I'm Becca Tyvel. Recently changed my last name because I got married. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Formerly Pew. Um, and I am a program director here in the Washington, D.C. area. And we're working to build bridges and bring peace um, to our local communities here. And as always, joined by my co-host, Keith Giles. That's right. My name is Keith Giles. My wife, Wendy, and I are working with Peace Catalyst here in El Paso, Texas. Um, very excited about the possibility of working with some um, newly placed, I think, 20,000 Afghani refugees here in El Paso. So um, really looking forward to, to that. And hopefully we can share something about that in the future. Um, but, um, welcome to our podcast. And if you do enjoy listening to the Peace Catalyst podcast, please do us a favor. If you would take some time to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or whatever you listen to your podcast, um, it would really help boost our visibility and it encourages others to give the podcast a listen. So we appreciate you doing that. Um, and I want to also share, we've started doing something, every podcast, something called our Peace Quote of the Week. And this week, our peace quote comes all the way back. It's an oldie, but a goodie from the uh, from 330 AD, uh, your favorite and mine, Arnobius, right? We all love Arnobius, the early church father, like can't get enough of him. Uh, but it's a good quote. Uh, it's actually from a very long quote, but I'm just going to pull this little part out of the quote uh, from Arnobius way back in 330 AD. And he says this, he says, for since we, speaking of Christians, Uh, a numerous band as we are, have learned from his teachings, this is Christ's teachings, and his laws, that evil ought not to be requited with evil, that it is better to suffer wrong than to inflict it, that we would rather shed our own blood than stain our hands and our conscience with that of another's. So, yeah, there you go. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) So much wisdom from such an, an old church father. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, it's crazy. I've never heard of Arnobius before, but obviously that's such a um, powerful quote and yeah, really accurate in terms of what Jesus teaches us. Yeah, I do love it. And I, you know, the more I've looked at early church fathers like that, um, especially when it comes to that topic of mm-hmm. uh, nonviolence or loving our enemies and uh, following Christ and his, his kind of the pattern he set for us, they mm-hmm. are, there's some excellent quotes. Um and um, I think what I like about that quote is that idea that, you know, for for Christians, for followers of Christ, <clears throat> you know, the conviction that it's better to suffer wrong than to inflict wrong, yeah. um, that it's better, that we would rather have our own blood shed than, there's, than to be the ones shedding the blood of another. Yeah. Um, you know, it kind of goes to that idea that uh, for a follower of Christ, there are many things worth dying for, but nothing worth killing for. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really good reminder. I really appreciate that. That's really good. I'm going to throw something out um, for all of the Marvel nerds who are listening right now. Oh, that's me. <laughs> are you watching the What If series on Disney Plus? Oh, yes, I am. Yes, loving it. I love all, I love a huge Marvel fan. And my wife, Wendy, and I have been watching the Disney uh, series, all, all of them, Loki, yes. you know, WandaVision, all those. Yeah, they're great. So good. Have you seen the Killmonger episode of What If? Yes, we just I just watched it yesterday. Oh, me too. It was so good. And hopefully this isn't too much of a spoiler. It shouldn't be. But 
the <laughs> the quote that really got me is when um, T'Challa is speaking to Killmonger and he says, you think that the answer to suffering is more suffering. And that just really, I don't know, it really hit me on a deep level <laughs> for yeah. some reason going through that um, a second time and, and seeing the story of Killmonger who, you know, we saw his story in the Black Panther film. And I kind of thought this episode would play out his character in a more redemptive way. I was like, oh, yeah. he's going to be a hero in this universe because it's a different kind of yeah. story. But he was still kind of pursuing that, um, you know, goal of, of conquering and taking over and killing his, his relatives. And so anyways, this quote reminds me of that and it's really powerful. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. <clears throat> I do. I thought that that final scene because if so, yeah, what he um, he becomes the next Black Panther, right? They give him that that's that's thing he drinks. Sorry, spoiler to everybody. And uh, <laughs> and then as as it happens, right? We know from the Black Panther movie that when you do that, you have this sort of a vision. Yeah. And, um, so he does. He has this vision, and he sees sort of those who have, who have passed on. He kind of goes to the afterlife, right? And T'Challa in Black Panther saw his father, but yet when uh, Killmonger does it, he sees. Um, he sees T'Challa and um, yeah, T'Challa speaks to him and says, you know, was it worth it? And he goes, yes, you know, of course, but so many people died. And he goes, you think, yeah, that, that line you said, you know, you think that the answer to suffering is more suffering. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was really powerful. And then I think he says something else like um, one way or the other, you'll, you will have to answer for that either in, in, in your life or in this one, like yes. one way or the other, right? So yeah, that was, um, that was pretty powerful. I think, I guess too, this whole idea too, about, um, that sort of eye for an eye way of thinking, you know, cause again, that character is all about kind of wanting revenge and, um, using mm-hmm. power and force to, and, and everything to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of plays into that idea of like redemptive violence where, you know, like when you realize that re- what redemptive violence teaches is this idea that if we could just kill enough people we could make the Mm -hmm. world a better place Mm -hmm. and when you say it like that it kind of makes you it should make you go well no wait a minute that doesn't make sense um how could that work well and here's the thing that philosophy of like let's make the world a better place by just killing enough of the right people or the the bad people right the wrong uh, the the people we don't Mm -hmm. like and um so we have hundreds of thousands of years of history to look back on to see that, well, actually that isn't right. That isn't true. It doesn't work. That doesn't make the world a better place. That's not what, that's not what works. And so being able to go back and say, well, here's this thing we have not tried uh, with as much gusto, with as much emphasis, with as much passion. And that's Mm -hmm. this idea that Jesus gave us, which is, you know, this very different path Mm -hmm. of, Hey, instead of killing our enemies, why don't we love them? Why don't we forgive them? Why don't we serve them and do good to them, right? And then now there's an opportunity for the kingdom of God to break in. And I think, yeah, I think I, I think that's the genius. That's one of the things I love about Jesus is that I think he's pointing out the stupidity, the insanity of doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result mm-hmm. to finally go, hold on a minute. Let's stop and try something you've never even thought about before. Let's try okay. to turn this around and break this pattern of redemptive violence. Right. Um, uh, I think, yeah, that's that's what I love about the whole, like, the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' approach to all this. 
Yeah, totally. And I think it's like this quote is saying, like, how much are we willing to take suffering upon ourselves rather than mm-hmm. inflicting suffering on others? And yeah, Jesus kind of modeled that for us. Um, so yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, really powerful. <laughs> so cool that we're both Marvel nerds. <laughs> hey, I learned. I just yeah, we just have a great connection here, Becca. I, I, <laughs> I have more respect for you even every than I did before. I guess it's so great. We have. Now we have to be careful because we don't want a podcast to turn into like a Marvel thing, but we easily, we easily could do that. We could add a Marvel bite every week. There you go. A Marvel quote every week. <laughs> well, we're really excited about this current series that we're in where we are actually talking to our very own Peace Catalyst staff. Um And, you know, we're working all across the country and the globe. We've got people in Bosnia and Indonesia, as well as California and Idaho. And, you know, we're kind of asking them about what are their own peacemaking journeys and how are they building understanding and connection and collaboration with their diverse neighbors wherever they're living for peace. Um, And this week we have some really great guests. That's right. We're interviewing this week Nick and Laura Armstrong, very good friends of uh, ours. Love Nick and Laura. Uh, They lived in Indonesia for 23 years, where Laura worked as a primary school educator and principal, and uh, Nick worked in relief and development, doing doing peace building work in Sumatra and Central Java, and also disaster response management and community development. Uh, They are now in Boise, Idaho, uh, where they are working as a team to build peace by connecting local church members with refugees from around the world who have settled there. And Nick and Laura, welcome to the podcast. So awesome to have you with us, Nick and Laura. We're so grateful for you guys joining us today um, to learn more about you and your story, um, coming to Peace Catalyst and, you know, what you did before um, and what motivates you to be a peacemaker and just learning more about you guys. So, um, yeah, just curious to learn, you know, what did you do before you came to Peace Catalyst? And maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you became a part of Peace Catalyst, too. Yeah, so we, um, before coming on with Peace Catalyst, we spent 23 years in Indonesia. Um, Nick was working in relief and development, and I was working in education. Education is my background. And the last 17 years were spent in Salatiga. And I was working at a small international Christian school there, Mountain View International. And I taught and then I became the elementary principal and just kind of held the fort as fort down with our two kids, um, Lucas and Annalise, uh, while Nick was off traveling and in search of um, disasters. So I'll let him explain what he was doing. Yeah. So actually, I didn't have to search out the disasters. They found me. Um, Just as a clarification, I was not the cause of those disasters. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of my training in education, yeah, was revolved around community development and disaster response. And so uh, the work in Indonesia, we originally went over with, uh, we were seconded to World Relief International and uh, worked at a university helping with the community development department. But yeah, as uh, kind of the work that uh, we had in Indonesia kind of morphed into a focus on disaster response because it is on the ring of fire, as you know, and there's a lot of 
disasters, uh, whether they're, you know, volcanoes or floods or earthquakes and tsunamis and all of that. So a lot of my, uh, my work did kind of delve into that. Um, wherever I traveled, I traveled actually through the Southeast Asia. We had a team of people uh, in Bangladesh and India and uh, in Laos and Cambodia and the Philippines. And so, yeah, my, my travel took me there as well. Uh, and some of it had to do with just uh, disaster response training and that sort of a thing. But uh, most of my work focused on Indonesia. Uh, and I probably uh, most notable was the, the tsunami in Aceh uh, back in 2004. And so I traveled back and forth from central Java to Aceh, which is in northern Sumatra, for about four years uh, with a variety of different kinds of things that we did. Uh, at that point, I was with World Renew, uh, which is a, another development organization. So uh, most of that work did uh, incorporate the idea of uh, peacemaking uh, as in, in the sense that, uh, you know, I guess conflict was a feature of the social reality that wherever we went and uh, you know, just for an example, when we entered into Aceh, there had been a 30-year war conflict, uh, essentially a civil war between an independence movement, uh, Gerakan Aceh Merdeka, which was the yeah, kind of the freedom movement within Aceh. And so, yeah, there was a lot of international organizations that went into Aceh, put their eyes on the situation. And so, lo and behold, within a year, um, they came up with a peace accord uh, within that time. But I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll just share more about that later. But that, yeah, so um, I guess the, the idea of being a peacemaker was integral to that experience. And so when we came back uh, here to Boise, that's when we uh, started Global Community Partners, which is essentially working with refugees here in Boise. And so that was the beginning of, of the nonprofit that we have now. I want to add to as an educator, you're constantly doing peacemaking between children. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was in my DNA as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You develop those skills uh, definitely uh, in that process. So that's, uh, you know, you got a, a good base level experience. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So you see, you said you came back to Boise and you were working with uh, refugees there in Boise. And this was before coming to Peace Catalyst, right? Yes. Well, it kind of all happened at one time. Um, so we, we actually knew Rick from when we first arrived into Indonesia in 1990. And we lived on the same top of the hill as Rick and Fran did. And Rick and Fran were like known throughout the community. One time we were at the bottom of the hill waiting for the public transport to take us up. And Rick noticed us and said, oh, come on in. I'll give you a ride up. And his old beat up Kijan. And we were just in awe. It was like, oh, Rick Love, who is one of the founding people of Peace Catalyst. So through him and then also through Jim Mullins, who is also another um, one of the founding board members at Peace Catalyst, we got to know Jim because his wife, Jenny, used to work at the school and taught um, in elementary where I was the principal. So it was kind of like all these different factors. I think we even met with Jim before we came back to the States. 
and had started talking through this idea of, well, as we're working with people who come as refugees, perhaps we can also be working with um, Peace Catalysts and that idea of doing peacemaking between Christians and Muslims. And so we got talking to Rick, and um, that's how we got connected then and became partners with PCI. So, Yeah. I love that you were like living there with them in Indonesia. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. I think everybody was pretty much in awe of them. They were, they were the cool kids on the block doing some pretty (laughs) incredible things. And, you know, and then God took them on another journey and we stayed in Indonesia, but definitely heard about Rick and what he was doing throughout the years. Yeah, very definitely. Uh, it, It made a whole lot of sense for us to, to partner up. Very cool. So talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, and this is a big, big question, but um, it seems like, you know, you were already involved, pretty heavily involved already, you know, doing this kind of work um, overseas and, and then you came to Peace Catalyst, but in general, like what motivates you to be a peacemaker? What, what attracts you to this? What, why did, why have you decided like, this is what you want to do and, and you know, what you want to, how you want to invest your life. You want to, go ahead. Well, yeah, I would say, um, I mean, from the very beginnings of following Christ, uh, it became uh, very apparent to me that <clears throat> being a follower of Jesus meant to be a peacemaker, uh, that mm-hmm. it was just, uh, you know, it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. And, and it's an integral identity of, of what it means to follow Jesus is to be a peacemaker. You know, I was uh, I listened to the podcast last week uh, with Martin and Susan, and uh, I was, you know, uh, reminded as he talked about peace that the shallow sort of concept of peace being one of absence of conflict which was really more of an ancient kind of Greek way of looking at it. There so many wars during ancient Greece that the idea that there wasn't a war at some point, a reprieve from war meant, yeah, that's peace. But the, uh, you know, the biblical view of, of peace, of shalom, the, the Hebraic idea is so much richer and deeper. And, uh, you know, that really formulated kind of how I looked at, at my whole following of Jesus. And so, uh, you know, this idea of, of uh, flourishing, of sort of the relationship with God, people, and creation as being part of this fullness of peace um, was something that really formulated uh, kind of how I looked. It's not just a it's not just a vocation or a gifting, but peacemaking is, is essentially just a, a, a characterization or of, of what it means to follow Jesus. And so at least that's the way I look at it. Um, and, and there are more, you know, sort of practical ways you can talk about what, you know, it means to flesh that out. But I think that's kind of the, the big picture of how I see it. Um, I'd also just mention that the... Um, the tradition, the history of Anabaptists uh, have yeah. really influenced my thinking. And we've had good friends in Indonesia that uh, were Mennonites <clears throat> that became, uh, you know, really, a, I think, a model for us in a lot of ways and just how they they fleshed out what they were doing. They were working in relief and development as well with Mennonite Central Committee. But 
um, you know, the, I think that the history and theology of the Anabaptists, their perspective, um, there's just a strong emphasis on, uh, you know, the, the daily life of Jesus. There's this sort of idea of a covenant with people, uh, Christ-centered uh, community. That's such a central part of what they do. And then, and then it's uh, an emphasis on overcoming conflict with nonviolence. Um, so all that, you know, really, I think, helped to shape also the way I think about what it means to be a peacemaker. And so it made so much sense to, to be part of Peace Catalyst and, and to learn from Peace Catalyst and to have that as, a, as, as something, you know, kind of being part of the, the same tribe, so to speak, uh, which yeah. was really helpful. Um, Laura? Um, I think it's really been walking alongside Nick and watching him that's helped me to understand what it means to be a peacemaker. And I mean, that's a lot of who he is and who, where I see Jesus in him a lot of the times. Um, I do, I think the work in Indonesia and just learning and understanding just tribal different um, sukus, the different ethnicities or ethnic groups and how that's worked had a big impact on me, as well as just looking at Muslim and Christians in Indonesia, because Christians were the minority, which was so different than being here in the United States, where um, I guess that can be argued right now, <laughs> who's the minority and all that. But, you know, growing up in in the U.S. during the years when I was growing up, you know, it was thought of as a Christian nation. And really um, being in a Muslim major memorial majority um, population, I think, really um, helped me to see it in a different way, in a different light. And that whole idea of, I guess, what really is getting to know people and understanding who they are and not judging just by the label. And I think that's been one of the biggest things where my heart has just really grown. Um, so beautiful. And I, I think I love what, Nick, what you were kind of pointing out about this idea of shalom and not just the negative peace or the absence of conflict, but the kind of peace we're working for, like you said, is based on that biblical Hebraic um, sense of holistic peace. And so it's really beautiful that, you know, that's what we're all working for. Yeah. So, yeah, can you guys talk a little bit about um, the work you're doing there in Boise? Uh, I'm aware of some of it, but I mean... I know you guys are probably doing even more than, I'm, than I know about. And, and then just real quick, I mean, I, I may have mentioned this in one of the other episodes, but the whole reason Wendy and I are at Peace Catalyst, a big part of it is the fact that we got to meet you, uh, Nick and Laura, when we were one of, the, one of the first friends we made, first people we met when we moved yeah. to Boise. We're only there for a year, but we got to know you guys and got to yeah. hear a little bit about what you were doing and even attend some of the things that you were doing there right. through yeah. Peace Catalyst firsthand. And that was a big part of our coming into Peace Catalyst. So wow. I'm, I'm really excited for people to hear like the kind of work that you're doing there because I know it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd say, um, you know, the, the work that we're doing, one of, maybe just to give it a little bit of a context, when we left for Indonesia in 1990, uh, we knew very little about the refugee population here in Boise. Um, but in that two decades that we were gone, uh, what we discovered was that there were over 16,000 people that had come to Boise as refugees from all over Syria, Iraq, uh, Somalia, uh, Sudan, Cong Congo, Myanmar, 
all over the place. And, and so, you know, Boise wasn't particularly, um, you know, a place where there was one sort of ethnic group or, or nationality that was settled. It was a very, uh, yeah, I guess varied in terms of, of nationality and ethnicity that was here. So it really in somewhat surprised me. If you look at just the Boise area, that represented about 6% of the population. So it really changed the cultural landscape of, of this. And so a lot of our, our sort of involvement with refugees had to do with thinking about, you know, what is the church's involvement in this of welcoming the strangers because the biblical mandate, uh, ethos, the eschatology involves, you know, the, the church, uh, coming together from all languages, all tribes and, and ethnicities. And so it really, um, became something that we, we saw a need for kind of, uh, coming alongside the church. We worked really closely with, uh, world relief in in the beginning. They were one of the resettlement agencies here in Boise. And uh, I think that was a, that's a big part of what World Relief is about, is the idea of, of empowerment within the church to get involved with those who are refugees. And so, um, yeah, that, that became kind of uh, the reason that we really wanted to, to get involved uh, with refugees. Our particular ministry is um, focused, uh, it kind of modeled around two different organizations, one out of Chicago by Exodus World Service, or is it Exodus, Exodus World, World Service. Service, and then Tucson Refugee Ministries there in Tucson, Arizona. And they had uh, a model that we, we really, you know, kind of beg and start, uh, uh, stole from. And uh, so that was uh, something that helped us to shape the kind of ministry that we have. But essentially, our mission is is one of helping to mobilize, train, and then connect volunteers to refugee families to really help this idea of connection, of relationship, that friendships would be able to be built. And uh, just another part of that context is, you know, about half of those that came as refugees to Boise are Muslim. And so uh, that was a big part of of how we work with Peace Catalyst. And, and if you look at the, the, those that are Muslim uh, within the Boise area, there's, it's about 95% of them came as refugees. So that overlap is, yeah, it just makes a lot of sense for us to be, to be working with Muslims in that context. But the, the uh, programs for connection, I'll let Laura just talk a little bit about that, but there's a lot of different ways that we try to create that. Yeah, and I just wanted to say that, um, you know, a lot of why we are involved with people who've come as refugees is because of our daughter, which is, you know, she had come to Boise and was going to Boise State. We were still in Indonesia, and she was in social work and had to do some, what do you call it, like student work, um, volunteer work or whatever, and started yeah. working with World Relief. And as we were toying with coming back, she's like, why don't you do this, mom and dad? It uses your cultural background. It uses your development background for dad. I can use education. And that is a lot of why we're doing the work we're doing. But yeah, so I think that idea of just relationships, that is the full focus of what we do, why we do everything we do. So our programs real quick are just friendship partnerships. We try to connect people from the church 
with people who come as refugees. And we do that through the resettlement agencies primarily, as well as some other agencies that work with refugees. Um, but our idea, and I love the term Nick always uses, is social capital. We want to build their social capital here that to give them somebody else that can walk alongside them and help, you know, take them to the Boise River. Keith knows a little bit more about what Boise yes. looks like. But, you know, help them experience the beauty of what Boise is, as well as go to the grocery store, go through um, all the mail that you get and go, this is junk mail. This is, you know, this one you need to hang on to. So those ideas, is, that's what the idea is behind Friendship Partners. We do baby showers, which is really fun. We have a gal that runs that for us. And so it's just another way to connect with mamas who are maybe having a baby in the U.S. for the first time, or maybe it's their second or third, but just to bless them with gifts as well as just, again, another relational uh, connection. We do a women's English program on Thursday mornings, and that was really out of um seen a lot of women primarily from Syria at the time who their husbands were going out and working they were going out and having connections but the wives were primarily at home and I thought we need to do something that gets them out gives them opportunity to see one another I mean they talk a lot on the phone and stuff but as well as to learn English and so on Thursday mornings we gather with about 20 to 25 women who have come as refugees and around um about the same amount of volunteers who come and just have a fun time. Last year we were on Zoom, hoping to never do that again. But it went yeah. well. But yeah, um, just hoping that we can be in person this year. Um, we do donations, so help set up homes with uh, furnitures, furniture that's been donated or household goods. And then a lot of where we've tied in that. Um, the PCI is doing peace feasts or community dinners, and we work really closely with the Islamic Center of Boise. Our, we always call her our partner in crime is Rushma. I think, I don't know if you guys have gotten to meet. Maybe, uh, Keith, you did get to meet. But I think I met her. Yeah, yeah at the peace feast that, that you went to. Yeah. Um, but she's just been a joy, and it's been so cool to see through those peace feasts, through those community dinners, how many other connections and how many other ways that we've been able to collaborate with the, the Islamic Center of Boise. So, Well, I want to hear some stories. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you know, the, like Laura said, the relationship that we have with the Islamic Center of Boise, it's, it's, it's the largest mosque. And uh, that has been such a important, integral part to, you know, our whole working with uh, the Muslim community here in Boise. And uh, I, I think, you know, we've actually started a relationship, I think, in 2014 when we started with Peace Catalyst. And, and we've been doing a lot of different things with them. Uh, you know, as Laura mentioned, the community dinners. I just mentioned one story with regard to that, just to kind of... Uh, kind of give a flavor for the kind of relationship that we have. We're having a, a, a peace feast or, you know, community dinner at our, at a local Afghan restaurant. And uh, it, there's about 25 I people there. I think it was there. one of our first ones. It, yeah, it really was. It was an early one. And we had asked, uh, we, we got to know the restaurant owner a little bit. And we, we asked him, you know, would you be able to, because there's going to be 25 of us, could you allow for the restaurant to just close off and just allow us to have this sort of conversation without other people in the room? 
And he said, yeah, no problem. So we, we go in and uh, I guess he forgot that because there were a lot of other people that were sitting <laughs> in the back and, and, and kind of seeing what we were doing and having some, some very rich conversation talking about, uh, I think it was Eid. You know, yeah, they were explaining Eid. Explaining yeah. Eid and, and just having conversations around that. And it was a, just a really rich time together. And uh, then towards the end, uh, you know, I go up to Sham, the, the restaurant owner, and, and uh, said, uh, yeah, now I need to, to hey. reconcile the bill here. <laughs> yeah. I, I know it's going to be pretty expensive, 25 of us and that sort of a thing. And he says, oh, you don't need to do that. Uh, he said, uh, th there was a guy that just paid all this for oh. you. And I said, really, where, where is this guy? And he said, oh, actually, he just left. And so I uh, run out the door and I chase this guy down, actually, and, and said, you know, why did you do this? And he said, you know, I, I, I'm also a foreigner here. Uh, I'm Muslim. And to hear the kind of conversations that I heard tonight, uh, it just really touched me. And so he said, I just thought it was the least I could do. So here, wow. here you've got this sort of, yeah, it, it, it was a kind of a beautiful thing. And I think it also reflected this sort of the nature of the relationship that we have with uh, the ICB, the Islamic Center of Boise. And, and so it was, yeah, just one, one uh, story of... I think one of my favorite stories um, was there was a couple that had come as refugees and they hit some pretty hard spots, both in their marriage and in their family um, life. And they were struggling with their daughters who they've been able to keep kind of, you know, close to them. But they were in high school and experiencing Western American high school for the first time. And dad was feeling like, the oldest daughter wasn't dressing properly and wasn't doing some of the things that she should have been doing. And so it was causing a lot of conflict in the family. And Nick and I, you know, spent a lot of time talking with them. And finally, we reached out to Reshma as well as the director of the Islamic Center and said, you know, hey, we just don't know what to do. You guys, this is, he's coming from an Islamic background. Can we do some counseling together? We know the family, so if we come in and sit, but maybe also having you as the head of the mosque and Reshma, um, maybe maybe you can speak into this in a way that we can't. And so the six of us, well, I think the seven, because I think the oldest daughter was required to come as well. Um, and we sat through basically a counseling session of just really talking through the issues things that Taga, the director of the, the Islamic Center, as well as Reshma had felt and been through as far as raising children um, in the United States and some of the differences. And so just really talking back and forth and the family um, left better and stronger from that session and are still together and doing great. They ended up moving to Wisconsin, but um, it just was one of those those beautiful pictures of how we can collaborate, how we can work together. We can respect each other's religions and backgrounds and understand that um, we all have a lot to give and, and can and learn from one another and just how those re relationships were strengthened through that time. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, I'd add just that in this context of, you know, a deep 
uh, re- friendship and, and relationship that we had with them, the trust that we had, it, it really becomes such a natural thing to talk about our own uh, lives, journeys, our faith, talking about what it means to us to follow Jesus and who Jesus is to us. And uh, so those are conversations that happen all the time. Uh, it's, I, they're, they're just very organic. And uh, so, yeah, I think that that's what friendship can do. I think that's the whole, the whole idea uh, a lot of times with, uh, the life of Jesus that we see is the idea of making connection and, and building sort of friendships that otherwise, uh, otherwise we don't have the context to be able to to really connect or to, to share in deeper ways in, in, in each other's lives. But that really is the key is that there's a mutuality, there's a respect and, uh, you know, it, it's a, it can become a very beautiful thing. In that in that way so. my um my church here in dc actually has a similar uh program or ministry and they call it family friends and we're a part of that with a syrian refugee family and it, it really is just so meaningful to become a friend and to be there for different things like hey i don't know how to fill out this medical form or can you talk to the school teacher for us you know just small things yeah. and then you become organic friend build organic friendships yeah. and it really is yeah it's so really amazing yeah. yeah i think that was one of the things um when we first met you guys Wendy and i you know had dinner together and you were telling us some of these things with refugees and that's one of the things that really stuck out to me was some of those practical things like that like you know i just things i wouldn't even have thought about that you know they come from these other countries and some of them are given some sort of some form of housing um, but like the women, they can't read English, so they don't know how to work the microwave, may not, may not even know what a microwave is, or even how to work the washing machine or the dryer when they go to the grocery store, even if they know how to find a grocery store. Because, you know, to us, we're like, oh, Trader Joe's, you know, Albertsons. Yeah, those are grocery stores. But to them, they're just a bunch of signs. They don't know which what's that. And so, so such practical things that they don't know where they need someone to come alongside them and help them do very, very simple things that a lot of us take for granted. Mm-hmm. That was a huge eye opener for me. Like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't even think that they would need this kind of help. And then knowing that that's one of the things that you guys are doing is coming alongside them and helping them through these really basic things. That was really, really cool. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah and we're, we're, we're hoping to be able to do something similar here in El Paso because, you know, we just got 20,000 uh, Afghan refugees sent to Fort Bliss. Wow. And, uh, and we just found out last week that they're going to speed. They're here to stay. Originally oh. they were saying that they were going to be eventually processed out to other places, Houston or Atlanta or things like that. Really? And, um, and then, yeah, the, last week I just saw the story that they were saying that, well, no, they're probably going to end up staying here. So even more, I'm feeling like, well, they're going to need help with that kind of level of integration and you yeah. know processing them into yeah. society again. Yeah. And so really you guys are a huge model for us of like how we're going to do that. And I'm probably going to have to make some more phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> well, the next yeah, few days. that's, that's uh, what a great opportunity for the church there in El Paso though. That's yes. Oh boy. I'm really excited about it. And then again, too, it's that idea of, um, cause like 
I've talked to the local Muslim community and they are rare to go. They yeah. just can't wait to, you know, to, yeah. to jump in and help. Oh, and, you know, and, and, and doing this kind of work too, like I wouldn't want to do it without them. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. they're going to be able to provide a measure of familiarity and, um, you know, to be able to say, Hey, you know, we're, we came from another country and we made it and we're here to help you through it. But also to be able to bring Christian brothers and sisters into this as well to provide assistance alongside Muslims, you know, it's just such a beautiful model, and I'm very excited about being able to step into that. and And I love the work you guys are doing. I think you pioneered this in a lot of ways, for me, for sure, but I'm sure for a lot of other people uh, as well. And love what you're doing. So excited to hear thank you your story. And um, man, keep doing it. <laughs> so, sounds great. Thanks for the encouragement. I really, uh, really appreciate that. So yeah, we, we love what we do and. The, the work uh, continues and it's going to be continuing to be a challenge in, in our particular context right now. We're facing, you know, a housing crisis and very high prices for apartments yeah. and all of that. So we're, it, it's going to be a challenging time, but one that uh, I, I think that the church is going to have an opportunity to really step up in, you know, e even as I mentioned housing, you know, you think in terms of people who do have uh, an extra room or, uh, you know, perhaps some extra property uh, that, that they have that they can begin to see perhaps that could be used for some of the, uh, especially these Afghans that are coming in a very short period of time uh, where there's not a lot of uh, opportunity to plan for or that sort of thing. There's so it's going to be a huge need yeah. for transitional housing where they can stay before we can get them into more permanent housing. And so, yeah, we're really hoping. Yeah. yeah. In a lot of different ways, but yeah. housing is definitely yeah. one of the number one ways that they Here can Here in Boise. Yeah. I saw that um, Airbnb is doing a program where mm -hmm. anyone can, yeah, become a host temporarily for, yeah. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm sure they will utilize that. And I know that there's been quite a few cities that are already gearing up and utilizing that. So, yeah. yeah. You guys are so awesome and we're so blessed to know you and, well, and likewise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for being here today. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Nick and Laura, thank you so much for being here. Um, love them so much. Uh, really, I think I said in the in the conversation, but um, they're a big reason that Wendy and I decided to look at Peace Catalyst, you know, a little more seriously and say, "Wow, could we do something like this uh, ourselves?" And they're just great. I think even in that conversation, you don't really get a, a full picture of just what a, what remarkable people they are. Um, just spending time with them and seeing their heart for people. And their commitment. I mean, I'm just going to kind of tell on them a little bit since they're not here. Um, they, they, they give so much of their of themselves to the work that they do and to helping refugees and serving people um, to a fault. I mean, before the sun comes up and and long after the sun goes down, uh, they really are living this calling and doing it really out of a sense of joy. It's not like a chore, like, oh, woe is me, look at me working so hard. Um, they're doing it because they can't wait to do it, right? They really love it. And right. so that's what I really, that's what really impressed me about them. Um, their humility and their service and their joy uh, in, in serving people and helping people. It just makes you want to jump in and help them. 
Yeah. They're so, um, have such an incredible kind of, I don't know the word, like it's almost contagious, like you're saying, because of their, their heart for peacemaking and, um, passion for the work that they're doing locally. Um, yeah. And I just loved learning more of their story, um, about living on the same hill as Rick and Fran Love in Indonesia. (laughs) So cool. And like sharing car rides and, um, yeah, it's just incredible to hear that background and to know the work that they're doing now, which is so significant, um, in Boise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, the thing that really uh, stuck out to me, you know, when we were asking them, you know, why, why peacemaking and why this was such an important thing to them. Um, you know, Nick's reaction, Nick's response, you know, to be a follower of Jesus is to be a peacemaker. I mean, it's, they're the same thing. And you that definitely comes across, uh, when you get to know them. And I love, as they were talking about kind of the refugee resettlement work that they're doing, it's Mm -hmm. kind of, it's really powerful because they were very, of course there are practical ways that they're helping refugees with resettlement. But I think the the key piece of their work there is the relational aspect, like Nick said, social capital and kind of helping refugees to become acclimated to their communities and knowing that they have friends, that they have a community, that they have family locally that are there for them if they need anything. And even just kind of, um, yeah, like Laura is trying to give opportunities for women to have a place where they can gather and, um, you know, do different activities and, and just, yeah, being, being present with, with people who are coming to the country is, um, is so beautiful and so powerful. Yeah. And, um, I should have asked her about that when we had them both here, but, um, I was remembering, um, I think one of the things they were doing when they, with the women, um, Mm -hmm. Muslim women, uh, refugees, um, so they, they found a local church there, a Christian church there in Boise that was willing to give them like a, like during the week, let them use like, like, you know, a fellowship hall or a, a meeting space. And so these Muslim women are, you know, going to this church, going into this church with their, their head coverings and all that stuff and, um, and getting together. And I know they were doing various things. I think sometimes they were just having tea and talking other times they were maybe making crafts or working together or, you know on some yeah. practical things. Um, but they were doing it in this Christian church. And, um, and then that connection was one of the ways, kind of like a natural way that some of the, then the people on staff at the church started to get to know some of the Muslim women and some of these, you know, so it was very organic connections and relationships started forming. And then pretty soon, I think some of the Christian women were invited to come and join them and they were sharing recipes and, you know, just really interesting things like that. Like, um, I just thought how one thing would lead to the next thing would lead to the next thing. And, but in a very natural way. And uh, that, I love that. I just think that is so great. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, I think that's huge in terms of, of peacemaking. Like you're saying, it's, you know, unintentional, but like when you're there and you, you know, people show up on your doorstep or they're in your building and um, it's really powerful. And I, I think that's, um, yeah, it's really important to kind of support those efforts to, um, yeah, bring refugees to a place where they can live safely and um, and open our arms like Jesus would to embrace them and love them and welcome them into our communities. Yeah, absolutely. 
you know, I, I mentioned this in our interview with them, but I participate in a local ministry through my church, National Community Church. It's called Family Friends, and it's just kind of literally becoming friends with refugee families. And, you know, we go there every week, every Tuesday night. We go over there to our the family that we partner with have um, four daughters, and we help them with their homework, and the mom cooks an amazing meal, like usually Syrian food, which is delicious. And, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and we help them with, with various things throughout the week, whatever it may be, but really, they, I mean, they've become like family because you just start to live life, um, together and it's really cool. So I just yeah. love, love the work that Nick and Laura are doing. Yeah, that is so beautiful. I'm really honestly a little jealous. I'm looking forward to those opportunities. <laughs> you know? Like when Wendy and I first started with Peace Catalyst is, you know, the pandemic, started soon after and so we really only get to got to have like one really great meeting uh with muslims and christians and i we i thought this is the beginning of something great and then of course it all ground to a halt and we waited now for over a year so i'm really looking forward to being able to do that like to open our home and and to go and get to know uh, muslim families here as well as refugees and things like that um i really look forward to that yeah well, I hope that'll happen for you guys. <laughs> it is really, it, it's really amazing. It's powerful. And you learn so much. Like I've learned so much from, you know, our friends from Syria and it's really incredible. It's life changing, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the other things too, that I thought was significant, um, and it's probably important to bring up, you know, um, if for anybody listening to this podcast and, and if you've been listening to our, this is only our second one in our Peace Catalyst series, uh, where we're going and interviewing people, you know, who actually work with Peace Catalyst. Um, but, you know, so if you don't know a lot about Peace Catalyst, um, I think something that, um, Nick and Laura mentioned is, is, uh, it sets Peace Catalyst apart. And so, you know, they talked about the work that they're doing with Peace Catalyst. They talked about the work they're doing there locally with refugees. Um, and, um, and you'll start to notice, by the way, as you continue to listen to future interviews with people, not everybody's doing the same thing. Um, we all have a similar sort of, um, you know, we have the, our same heart, our same uh, things we care about, right? Reconciliation, peacemaking, um, and those kinds of things. But they, it's going to look different in every context. And, you know, um, like, you know, Nick and Laura mentioned, they're, they're in the process of starting their own nonprofit. And so somebody might go, well, why are they doing that? Aren't they already with Peace Catalyst? Well, so, so but Peace Catalyst gives them the freedom and gives everybody who's a part of the organization the freedom to say, you know, what is God calling you to do where you are and what does that look like? And, you know, and so, yeah, there's no, you're given permission and you're given freedom to explore that and express that and figure that out while still remaining part of Peace Catalyst. So Peace Catalyst is not going to be like, well, no, you can't do that. You've got to do this and that. So it's not a very, it's not controlling. It's really more providing that permission and that space. And that's one of the things I do love about Peace Catalyst as well. Yeah. And it makes, I mean, it makes so much sense because each context is different where regardless of, you know, peace building is such a broad like field and such mm -hmm. a broad thing, but in our different communities, we have different conflicts and social divisions that are really um, 
affecting us, affecting our neighborhoods, affecting our neighbors. And so um, I love that, yeah, Peace Catalyst equips us to be peacemakers in whatever context we're in. Um, and we can live that out in, in different ways, like you're saying. Yeah. yeah so it may, be, it may be Christian Muslim engagement. It may be racial um, divisions. It may be, you know, housing inequity or poverty, you know, so many different things affecting um, people's lives that, yeah, that there is a need for peacemaking for. So, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Peace Catalyst wants to equip and empower you to do that. So, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, whether you're whether you're you know somebody who's like um, fully invested in it, like Nick and Laura are, or you're like, oh, I'm with Peace Catalyst and I'm doing work there and I'm I'm connected to Peace Catalyst in some sort of an official way, or even if you're just a volunteer, you're like, hey, I uh, I, I love what Peace Catalyst is doing. I want to support that. I want to learn more about how to be a better peacemaker. You know, we have a lot of resources available and things like that. We're doing this cohort that's been um, something that's free, just helping people walk through and think through peacemaking in their own context. And so really whatever capacity you, you know, whatever level of engagement you want to have and you can have, um, yeah, Peace Catalyst is wanting to equip you and make this something where you can figure out what that looks like in your own, uh, in your own context. Yeah, definitely. And just so you all know, the cohort that we're referring to is with the Christian Peacebuilding Network, um, which is a collaborative effort by multiple peacebuilding organizations um, to help equip and empower Christians for peacebuilding um, in whatever context you're in. So Keith and I are leading a cohort, a four-week cohort on the intro to peace theology and conflict transformation. And it's not too late to sign up. So um, check out the link that is posted in this episode and come join us. Yeah. Wednesday evenings. Yeah. Come check it out. We'd like yeah. to see you face to face. Exactly. <laughs> over virtual, you know, video zoom, uh, technology. Yes. And a huge piece of the cohorts is finding community as well with others who are, you know, wanting to grow in peacemaking and, and become peacemakers. And I think that is a huge, um, at least for me, that's a huge part of, you know, why I joined Peace Catalyst, too, is to have that sense of community. And like Nick talked about, you know, finding their tribe in Peace Catalyst um, mm-hmm. and not in like an exclusive way, but just to, to yeah, build community and friendship with others who are seeking to pursue um, peace in, in their communities, too, is really important. Yeah, well, I totally agree. And I think that was like we had our first meeting just last night and um at yeah. least as, as we're recording this, uh, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, it was just really great to go around and have people share, you know, what, what, you know, just even what is the, what do you, when you think about peace, what does that mean to you? And, you know, yeah. what is peace, what is peace building or peacemaking look like in your own community, your own life, your own family, your own neighborhood? Yeah. Um, you know, I think those are just important questions to ask. And, and, and to do it in community, as you said, do it with people who can help you think through it. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times I think we might have those questions just on our own, but right. we don't know who to talk. How do I process this? How do I talk to someone about this? And it can right. seem so um, kind mm-hmm. of out of reach in some ways, like this is too hard and mm-hmm. I have to go to, you know, I have to go take some, you know, mm-hmm. college course or something. Um, right. And you really don't. It's not, it's not anything that, uh, Mm-hmm. that complicated but yeah. um, but you know being able to think through it and and process it i think is really important 
So yeah, you know, you're, if you're listening, join us. We'd love yeah, to have you. <laughs> love to see you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And for more info about Peace Catalyst and to help support our peacebuilding work, please visit our website at peacecatalyst.org. Thanks.